Hello, Internet. Welcome to episode 22 of the Assorted Calibers podcast, the Second Amendment podcast that has a little bit for everyone. I'm Weird Beard, and with me as always is my hostess, Erin Paulette. How are you doing, Erin? I am doing much better now that my headache is gone. I've had a headache for most of the afternoon, thanks to Tropical Storm Gordon. Yay. I've seen some uh, pictures of that. Miguel was showing weather maps with the (laughs) caption, guess I won't need to water my lawn. (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's it's a big-ass storm system. I mean, I am like between four and six hours from parts of Miami, because the Miami metro is just huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were just getting a bunch of rain dumped on us. It rained all afternoon. So it's a big storm system. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Miami's fine, because uh, it's a tropical storm. Floridians don't even really start to care until it's a Category 3. So you know, we weren't really worried, but it's just a case of it's a big storm that's pushing a pressure front ahead of it. And so it got me. And so I spent most of the day... Just in bed trying to sleep off the headache. It's it, it's rather like having a hangover without having had the fun the night before. Ugh. So, yay. <sighs> but it has passed. I'm feeling much better now. And it is off Florida. It's in the Gulf. And it looks like it's headed straight for New Orleans. And it may be a Category 1 when it gets there. Ugh. So, Good luck uh, to you, you know, people. Yeah, I mean, normally a Category 1 for a Gulf state isn't that big of a deal, but Nolens just has problems, what with it being below the waterline. Yeah, it's a cosmic soup bowl. Yeah. So I hope everyone there is all right. How you doing, weird? I am doing well. Well, this is, uh, we're recording this on Labor Day, and uh, I'm having an extra good Labor Day because my daughter is not in the country, and she will not be in the country till... The the patrons hear about the, this podcast because, yeah, she's gone all week. Okay, where did you put her? Uh, I sent her off with my parents on a cruise ship to Bermuda. Well, that sounds like a great vacation. Why aren't you on a cruise ship to Bermuda? I've already been to Bermuda. I've been three times. My wife's been twice, and we both decided that we've kind of seen all that island has to offer. It's, it's a nice place. It's really convenient to get to because it's really just like off the coast of North Carolina. It's not very far from Boston. So it's a quick flight. It's a short cruise if you take a cruise ship. And that's all nice. But it's it's a super duper crowded island. It's a super duper expensive island. And the one thing that bugs me about Bermuda is it kind of is like a cultural wasteland in the fact that it's a former British Commonwealth nation. And so it's got a lot of British stuff. They drive on the wrong side of the road. They play cricket there. Uh, guns and knives are banned, but it's closer to the United States. So they take American money. No problem. There's a, it's very much American with a lot of the stuff that you'll find there. And, but also it is a tropical island or technically a subtropical island and it's in the Bermuda Triangle. So it's got some connections to the Caribbean, at least in, you know, the shipping channels and such. So there's some Caribbean stuff in there, but it always kind of seems like, uh, like Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville Caribbean. So yeah, I mean, it's a nice place to go and it's, it's super duper pretty. The climate is outstanding. Like I think the record high is like 90 degrees there and the record low is like 70. Oh wow! Yeah, it just that is really nice. It's just nice. The only time when it's not nice is when it's raining sideways. 
<laughs> yeah. So when you say cultural wasteland, you mean it's basically plastic and all for the tourists? Yeah, I mean, no, because there are people that actually live there, and it's just it's just a weird homogenization of 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 cultures that I don't find at all interesting. It's not a when I go to vacation, like I went to Costa Rica just before my daughter was born, and. We ended up, the last place we stayed was in, um, um, like a very touristy place. And so they had like pizza and things like that. And I'm like, I don't want to eat pizza. I want to eat rice and beans. I want to eat fish. I want to eat Costa Rican food. I can get pizza at home. <laughs> and the same idea is that you go into a restaurant in Bermuda and it's burgers and fries and stuff. And there's a, you know, a few signature Bermuda stuff, but mm. yeah, I get you. And, and I think I think a lot of the super duper signature Bermuda stuff, like the you know, oh, drinking dark and stormies and eating Bermuda fish chowder, that seems a little bit more of the. It's for the tourists. It's like the uh, eating hakarl in uh, in Iceland. None of the native people eat the native food of Iceland. It's like no, the native food of Iceland is gross. We ate that because we were starving. Yeah, is that the fermented shark? Yes, that is fermented Greenland shark, which is the only poisonous species of shark. But if you bury it in the sand near near freezing temperatures and let it get all gross and smell like pee, then it then then it's edible. <laughs> but it does smell like pee. So once we let it rot for a bit, it's edible. Yes. Yay. Yes. And uh, when you're starving, that's that's a plus. Well, true, when you're starving. So while your daughter is on vacation to Bermuda with her grandparents, what are you and your wife doing? Um, some of that we can't talk about. <laughs> uh, no, we were spending a lot of time. Working. Oh, so I, I wanted to definitely wanted to tell you about this. We, as a couple, are are morning people. Aaron, uh, we got up and we went to the we went to a donut shop before sunrise to go to the beach at sunrise. And then we went out to uh, to a to a more proper breakfast after we had finished walking on the beach. So, <laughs> I understand all the words, but the concept is foreign to me. Are you sure you're speaking English? We did the bulk of our of, of our fun labor day before ten ten a.m. But life doesn't begin before ten a.m. For certain <laughs> people, it does not. Specifically, Aaron Palat of the. I bet Aaron's still asleep right now. Yes, I was. Oh, and oh, my geez. wife wanted to tell you I was talking about <laughs> I I had to I had to cuss at her for for not letting me open her car door for her, and I was mentioning that when we were down in uh, Dallas that you were just like your wife is a lucky lady because I was getting doors for you and all that, and she's like, oh, did you tell Aaron that your half the time your wife doesn't let you? <laughs> And uh, yeah, because she, uh, uh, her parents are divorced, and so it was just her and her mom. So I got to imagine it's just a question of yeah, it was just one person gets the door for the other person. It just happens, and there's not really any etiquette around average day to day with her growing up. Versus, if my dad and I went into the restaurant before my mom, we would be sit standing at the uh, the maitre d asking for our table, and mom would be outside waiting, and then we'd have to go back out and get the door for her so she could come in. And and then we would probably get a little bit of a tongue lashing for being so rude and boorish. <laughs> Wait, boorish for what? For not opening the door for a lady. Oh, oh, okay. So, see, I thought she decided to wait in the car while you got 
the seats at the restaurant so she wouldn't have to stand up. No, 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 no. She thought it was a deliberate choice on her part. No, literally, if she was behind us and we did not open the door for her and wait for her and just went in, no, she was not getting the door for herself. She's got gentlemen with her. (laughs) Wow. That was my wife's reaction. On the one hand, I've really got to admire that dedication to culture and mores. (laughs) It learned me real good. Ah, <laughs> uh, so um, so it sounds like your vacation is a week without a toddler. Uh yes. Well, she's four, so she's. I mean, she's not even any a- any fancy word for it. She's just a kid. That's what we were. We were. We were watching all the people. We went to breakfast. We were watching all the people. Like all the tables around us had kids, and we we're like, "Those kids are cute." We miss ours and miss the crap out of her. As soon as my phone chirps, my dad has uh, uh, has 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 internet connection over there, and so he's sending us pictures of her and things like that. Like, yeah, we drop everything so we can read read what she's up to in Bermuda and see pictures of what she's doing. And uh, but but at the same time, we're like, yeah, super nice to yeah get up in the morning and and just go down to the beach and not worry about all right are we gonna do we need to bring snacks do we need to do all that no no we're all grown-ups we can handle this <laughs> so one other exciting thing to talk about here is we've recorded another acp film tracks Wow, really? Yes, it was uh, myself, Savage, and David. We all sat down and we watched uh, the 1984 classic Runaway starring Tom Selleck. I found it on Amazon Prime and I mentioned, oh, this was a movie you could do for film tracks and Savage jumped on it. And I'm like, well, I, I guess that's settled. It's a classic? Um, It's a classic to me as well. I, I watched it a <laughs> bunch of times as a kid, but I, have, I had not seen it since the other day. Well... Let's let's be fair. You have a Tom Selleck fetish. I don't think he's ever made a movie you thought was bad. That's because he hasn't made a movie I thought was bad. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way because it's true. Did you watch the episodes of Friends that he was in? I did not. What? I'm trying to remember now. I think I might have seen at least one of them. And and he was he was awesome in that, of course. <laughs> he doesn't know how to not be awesome. Did you see that interview where he did for, I can't remember what movie it was. It might have been for Quigley. It was about Quigley time uh, when he went on Rosie O'Donnell when she had her uh, her daytime talk show, which I must say I was a huge fan of that show. Like she actually, that's, she's, she was a comedian and she's not very good at that. And she's an actress and she's really not very good at that. And she's a activist and she's definitely not good at that. Like, <laughs> That was what killed her show. Like she became so repugnant when she started, you know, stumping for the gun control cause that it got her show taken away. But when it came to actually interviewing people and doing a, doing a uh, a morning variety show, she was really good at that. It was a good show until, well, really, this interview was the start of it. Was she was chastising. Tom came on for to 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 push a movie, which I don't even know what it is because they didn't really get to talk about it because she just wanted to talk about gun control. And he just sat back and just kind of didn't engage, didn't engage, and then just kind of went, man, I was here to talk about a movie and all you want to do is talk about this. And it was the absolute best solution because it's one of those like... Yes, he could have made a very compelling argument against all the crap that she was saying, which was crap. But when you turn the other person into an absolute utter jerk and you're the good guy, 
it really makes your side of it seem all the better, no matter what it is. Hence the reason why I'm always upset when I see the uh, super snarky, bravado, puffed up chest shall not be infringed guy is the, yes, you may be right, but you don't sound right. <laughs> so getting back to Runaway and the film track, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I grab the wheel and try to lurch this segment back on topic. I, well, I mean, did you have something else to say about it other than you watched it with Savage and David? Yeah, and it just it was it was it was a really good movie, and I think people will enjoy it. It's on uh, Amazon Prime, so even if you don't have a copy of it, everyone's got Amazon Prime. If you don't have Amazon Prime, get it. It's free shipping. Okay, so just to wet the palates, pun not intended, of the people who are listening and who may not have heard about this movie. It is a science fiction movie. I don't remember what year it said in. Tom Selleck is a police officer, I do believe. Mm-hmm. And he is investigating some murders that were committed by some runaway robots, hence the name. And is it a spoiler to reveal the identity of the the person who plays the villain? It was uh, Gene Simmons. All right. So Gene Simmons from Kiss playing the villain. Uh, in a remarkably good amount of uh, scene chewing. And fans of Guns will be interested to note that uh, this, well, featured, I believe it was a gyrojet. It was actually not. I could see why you said that, but we noticed that when watching it, that it's actually, it's a 1911 of some sort with a whole bunch of goofiness on top of it that very much looks like a gyrojet. Well, okay, I saw it once. I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I think maybe I saw it a few years after when it made it to primetime TV. And, you know, this was before I was really into guns. So, honestly, I only knew the word gyrojet because it appeared in a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Star Frontiers. And then I went, oh, that was the thing that was in Runaway. Um, so it's not the case that, that I'm saying he has a gun, but how about it, it features gyrojet ammunition? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rocket-powered pistol in in the not in, in the distant future or the semi-distant future. Also, another super geeky thing about it is both written and directed by Michael Crichton of Jurassic Park fame. Oh, wow. Yeah. So for a film set in the future, but filmed in 1984, how well does it hold up? Um, it holds up very well if you keep your mind that it's in 1984. If you want to, it's kind of like Alien or the original series Star Trek on the, you know what? They're very, very visionary on it, but it's very, I like to call it like Ray Bradbury sci-fi, like Ray Bradbury's books. Mm. I always read his sci-fi. He always reads very steampunky to me. It's not steampunk per se, but it's got that kind of. Oh, you know, it's an it's an airship, but it's it's actually a lot better than modern planes. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it, it's sort of a Hugo Gernsback aesthetic. I'm not familiar who that is. So, a European uh, inventor, writer, editor, and magazine publisher. Uh, he published the first science fiction magazine. He um, his contributions to the genre as publisher were significant. So that along with H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, he's sometimes called the the father of science fiction. Is, is that where the Hugo Award comes from? That's exactly where the Hugo Award comes from. <laughs> and so he sort of popularized the visual aesthetic of the, the, the amazing stories and the other sort of science fiction, um, pulpy things. And so when you think of rocket ships or zeppelins or the jetpack spaceman with the bubble helmet, 
at least that's who I think of when I think of the Gernsback aesthetic. I gotcha. Yeah, that, that 1930s-ish sort of Buck Rogers spaceman kind of thing. The world's fair future. Yes. Yes, exactly. I gotcha. But either way, you can sit down and watch Runaway with some of the cast of ACP uh, by becoming a patron member at the $4 level. And you can download this one or the uh, the first one, which is Mazes and Monsters. Uh, we're planning on doing one every month. Uh, so far, everyone seems to be super interested. And we have a lot of fun with it. So it'd be nice if you guys were to, to, to listen in. But otherwise, we're just going to do it anyway. <laughs> So speaking of Savage, where the heck is he? Where are his segments? Uh, he's been like super busy with home stuff and he does another podcast. He's on the We Like Shooting podcast. He does two shows for them every week. So he's just been he's just been slammed and and so he's like, "Uh, oh, sorry. When I get some time, I'll, I'll I'll send some stuff in." So he's 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 he'll be back at some point. I don't know if he'll be back regularly. Aww, but he's part of the family and we love him very much. <laughs> That's surprisingly sweet. So, you know what else is surprisingly sweet, Weird? What? When NPR actually debunks school shooting numbers, because when you've lost NPR, you've lost the narrative. There are so many people who have re- that read this article or heard this report whose jaws have completely dropped when they're like, but wait. Like, I literally, like was listening to the uh, the audio of it going, all right, how, how am I going to audio fisk this? And I went, no, no wait. They're, they're not going on any crap. This is all, not only is this like, like on our side, I didn't realize it was so much on our side. So to break it on down, NPR decided to uh, do a little bit of, uh, of, I guess, verification of the number of school shooting incidents that have happened over, I think it was the, the last year. Well, it was 2015 to 2016 school year. Yep. And so they just called up school school administrators and was asking, "Or right, did you have this many school shootings?" And Well, let, let me let me interrupt here because what's relevant is that the United States Department of Education reported that nearly 240 schools reported at least one incident involving a school-related shooting. And so NPR decided to verify that, I guess because they thought, wow, that's a really high number. How come we haven't heard about it in the news? And they did some investigation, and they found something amazing. Yeah, they were only able to verify 11 of those. And four were miscategorized. <laughs> yes. A bunch of them were, I don't really know what the four that were miscategorized was because a bunch of them were miscategorized as well. And the fact that like, yeah, no, like we put it into the wrong data column. Um, Well, the four that were miscategorized based upon the article I read is that there was a difference between like a C1 and a C2 and C1 is assault with a pistol and C2 is like assault with scissors or I would guess a bladed instrument. Okay, And so they... They mistakenly elevated it. I gotcha. And to be fair, there were 59 where they were not able to get a hold of the school department during the scope of the uh, report. So those might, in fact, be correct, though, given that the vast majority of all the other ones were not. Well, yeah. Well, when you say, well, when the government says there were 235 school shootings but upon investigation, 161 schools or districts say, what? We don't know what you're talking about. We'd never 
recorded anything. We have no record of this. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, I actually thought there might be more of them just because the same reason why there's lots of shootings in urban areas is there are gangs and there are have rivalries and there are drug dealers and they can't go to the cops when somebody doesn't pay them their money so that shootings happen and they might happen in schools or as uh, as we've seen from uh, the Michael Bloomberg groups, they like to miscategorize, you know, shooting events as school shootings in the fact of, oh, there was one instance where a guy drove to the parking lot of a school in his car at two o'clock in the morning. So school is not in session, but he is technically on school grounds and committed suicide in his car. That was deemed a school shooting. Uh, there was a couple incidents where there was a, you know, gang activity in the, you know, neighborhood surrounding the school and that was considered a school shooting there was one instance where again also middle of the night those kids were at school when a gang member fled from police while exchanging gunfire through a schoolyard those were considered school shootings uh but in fact uh nope it's way less than even that yeah i i mean when you have two-thirds of the schools saying no this didn't happen That says a lot, but here's something that I think says as much, if not more. Uh, And I'm going to quote here from this NPR article. Uh, The Education Department, asked for comment in our reporting, noted that it relies on school districts to provide accurate information in the survey responses. In other words, it's not our fault, and says it will update some of the data later this fall. But, officials added, the department has no plans to republish the existing publication. Ooh. Yeah, so they made an error, they acknowledge it's an error, but it's not our fault, and okay, maybe it's not, but then they say, yeah, but even though it's wrong, we're not going to do anything about it. This is worse than the publishing a bunk story front page above the fold, and then printing, like, the next week, the retraction on page 14. Yeah, buried in the personals columns. Exactly. So... I'm going to call this next one also a feel-good story. Out, out, out of your backyard in Florida, I'm going to say, one, it's a feel-good story in the fact that it's not police and or government people doing horrible, horrible, horrible things to 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 people uh, in the state of Florida. They're, it's not all like some of the events that have been making national news. Do you want to talk about it, Aaron? No, no, you go for it. I, I like the, the spin you're putting on this. Yeah, is... So this story goes that uh, it's kind of a neat story is that this girl was blotto drunk, which, by the way, people don't get blotto drunk, you know, out away far enough away that you're going to need a conveyance to get you home. That's just there's too much trouble that can befall you in that instance. You know, go get your drink on, but don't be completely out of your mind drunk that you uh, this per- woman was so drunk, she's not even aware that much of this happened. Yeah, see, this is why, well, you were surprised when I said I've never gotten falling down drunk and had to stumble home. This is exactly why. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be that incapacitated, I'm going to do it at home, where I can just stumble to my bed, rather than being at the mercy of whoever might encounter me. Exactly. I'm, I I am similar. I have been, I'm, I'm not quite, 
I'm in between these somewhere. There's probably been a few times where I might have, when I was a, a, a newly minted drunk and went a little too far and found myself way more drunk than I thought I was going to be. But, but now is the, occasionally I will have more than a few drinks in, in, in walking distance from my house and we'll walk back somewhere. And that's, that's fine. But I'm, <laughs> I'm not stumbling, falling down or completely unaware of who I am or where I am. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, this woman is was too drunk to get herself home. This other woman, Good Samaritan, I, I guess calls and pays for an Uber for her because that's how this works. But she called an Uber for this this woman and and got the driver to take her home and just goodness of her heart and just put her in the Uber and sent her on her way and was paying for it is, is my assumption because that's how the Uber app works. Yep. And I'm not sure if there's a if the he had a joint account, I'm a little confused on how he ended up knowing about this. But this woman, she's a good Samaritan, wonderful, but she's got terrible taste in men. Her dirtbag boyfriend was yelling at her and doing sending her horrible text messages, and f- somehow thought that she was in this Uber car and that he was going to intercept that Uber car and f up the Uber driver. His words. Exactly. Ends up uh, pulling up behind the Uber car, tries to run him off the road, ends up cutting him off and blocking him in with his has a, a heavy pickup truck. I think it was an F-250 was what the police report said and uh, pulls pulls in front of in front of his car. And then as soon as he pulls in, he hops out, has his cell phone at his waistband and holds it up and pointing it at the guy and saying, oh, I've got it right here. You know I've got a pistol. You want me to f***ing shoot you. And there's actually a video of this because uh, I watched the 11-minute press conference by Sheriff Judd from Polk County. And I just want to say I want to go move to Polk County. I love this man. Instead of just giving a dry statement, instead of just, okay, here are the facts and that's it. No, he sat down and had a good conversation with people explaining what was going on. Making sure to point out to people that uh, the person who was shot was nice enough. I think he used the phrase, was nice enough to give us a written record of of what he planned to do. And so he played the video because the Uber driver, who, by the way, he wasn't a police officer yet, but he had graduated from the academy and was waiting to be placed. Mm -hmm. So he had a firearm, he knew the law, and he had a... Uh, a traffic camera and the traffic camera catches the guy, you know, um, J- Jason Boke, B-O-E-K, uh, you know, running the guy off the road, jumping out, coming towards the guy aggressively. Talking about a gun. Yeah, talking about a gun. And, and I saw the movement from his hip and it was dark, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he says, you know, I've got a pistol. You want me to f- shoot you? And then literally the next thing superimposed there in words, because they're transcribing it for the press, is the word gunshot. Mm-hmm. Just in case you didn't know. I mean, literally, it was, you want me to f- shoot you? Bang. <laughs> and, uh, okay, I, I have got to explain my laughter there. It's not so much that I find this funny. It's a case of, well, what he was threatening happened to him, and that's karma. Yeah, yeah, That's this is definitely firmly in the play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And, and the sheriff, God bless him, uh, he said all sorts of things. I actually encourage you to watch the video... It, it's kind of funny the way he's plain spoken. I might have watched it three times. 
Because when he's talking about Boke, he pulls out a picture and he says, now goofball here. <laughs> and, and he did other things. In addition to him making it very, very plain, here's another quote. This is justifiable homicide all day long. Mm-hmm. You have the right to protect yourself. This is a textbook stand your ground case. This is a classic. This was the intent of the law, end quote. And, and I just love that because not only does he make it plain that defending yourself is good and proper, but he took the piss out of a lot of people who were constantly complaining about how, oh, oh, stand your ground is a license to murder. It's like, no, here you go. Here is the perfect example of how it's meant to be used. He also pointed out just how quick everything went down. Like the, the actual attack is really just a few seconds long from the moment the truck pulls in front of his car to the guy being on the ground, fatally shot and pointing out the fact that, yeah, this is how long you have to decide whether you're going to live or die. And he made the right choice. So I, 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 yeah, very pleased with this. And I've, I've likened him too. If you like the, the, the raw Clint Smith videos, this is a, this is a Clint Smith video that you could watch with your children in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Leave people alone or they may shoot you. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't mess with the Uber driver. I would say you can expand that to don't mess with the people of Florida. Uh, the thing is though, this is, I don't know if Sheriff Judd is a rarity or, there are other sheriffs who are similar to him and they just keep quiet, but compare and contrast him to, and I've forgotten the name, but the sheriff of Pinellas County over in Tampa who absolutely hates concealed carriers and has told his officers that if they see anyone carrying to prone them out and then determine whether or not they have a concealed permit. And he, he said some really inflammatory things and uh, I don't have them at hand, so I'm not going to try and attempt them. But he, he's made it very plain that he does not think uh, non-police should have firearms. And I don't know if Pinellas is right next to Polk County, but they're very close to each other. And so it is really nice to see and hear a pro-Second Amendment sheriff, especially in the wake of a lot of this ridiculousness that has happened uh, after Parkland and after Jacksonville. I concur. So speaking of Parkland, last week I talked about the March for Our Lives Boston and their lackluster march from Worcester, Massachusetts to the headquarters of Smith & Wesson in Springfield. This week I bring you a fisk of the alleged leadership of that protest as they appeared on WGBH Boston. This week I had to tackle this interview with two members for March for Our Lives Boston. We talked about this before on the show, and this was likely the first you ever heard of it, even if you live here in Massachusetts. This is an interview conducted by WGBH Boston just before the four-day anti-gun event started. When a gunman killed 17 people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida six months ago, students across the country rallied for change. Stand for us or beware, the voters are coming. Well, I think it's safe to say that the Federal March for Our Lives event was a big flop when it came to national political action. We still have to wait to see how the election pans out, but I'm a bit skeptical that this is going to be the year where the 18 to 24 demographic actually turns up at the polls and on a midterm election and on a subject as perennially unpopular as gun control. 
Thousands marched in protest of gun violence, demanding leaders in Washington act on comprehensive gun control. And then the day after, students in Wisconsin decided to keep on marching, walking for four days and 50 miles from the state capital of Madison to Janesville, the hometown of House Speaker Paul Ryan. The organizers said they were inspired by the 54-mile civil rights march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama. Now their group, 50 Miles More, is aiming to hold protests in all 50 states, starting right here in Massachusetts, with a march starting Thursday morning in Worcester and ending 50 miles away in Springfield at the headquarters of gun manufacturer Smith & West. Is it just me, or is comparing this march, whose goal is to remove constitutionally enumerated civil rights from Americans, to the civil rights march in Selma, a really bad choice. At least they're marching to a corporate headquarters. This trend to harass political opponents at their private homes is in really bad taste. Now on to the interview with representatives for March for Our Lives Boston. Vickiana Pettit-Home, who is about to start her senior year at Boston Latin Academy, and Jack Torres, who is about to start his junior year at Somerville High School. Vickiana is billed as the director for March for Our Lives Boston. Note that March for Our Lives is a branded trademark owned by Michael Bloomberg. Do you actually think he'd be trusting the direction of his brand to a bunch of kids? I strongly suspect there are paid operatives organizing this and coaching the kids who are out front. This is a pretty smart tactic, as I can't attack Michael Bloomberg or his paid emissaries because they are nowhere to be seen. Instead, the only people I can fisk are children. But fisk I will. Did you guys know each other before? Yeah. Or? Yeah. We worked together on March for Our Lives Boston. Uh, at Somerville High School, we did a series of walkouts, and then uh, we started working with March for Our Lives Boston to plan the march. Um, and then, yeah, we started talking to the students in Wisconsin, and here we are. When you have Bloomberg media contacts and clout, this is also another good tactic. It takes literally no effort to get a bunch of high school kids to cut class especially when the school systems and teacher unions have been sympathetic to the cause and have threatened no discipline to kids committing truancy for a stated anti-gun cause. Now, if you can get the media to report these walkouts as some massive groundswell rather than just a bunch of kids cutting class, this can look much more impressive than it is. How many people are going to be there at the beginning of the march? So a huge event, a moderate-sized event? For in terms of student marchers, there's around 45, and then there's lots of volunteers. The students have to march uh, the whole way when they registered, whereas volunteers can do one or two days uh, in the middle. And so there's lots of volunteers that will be trading out with each other. Um, and then at the rally, we're hoping for big turnout from uh, across the state. So the media hasn't been reporting much on the numbers for this rally. But from my research, it was about 25 students who did the whole 50-mile march. And there was a grand total of about 100 people at the rally in Springfield. When compared to the 80,000 at the NRA annual meeting, or to 3,000 that on short notice rallied on the Massachusetts State House in 2016 against Mara Healy's illegal interpretation of our assault weapons ban, this is bad. When you note that Michael Bloomberg was likely financially backing it, that is really bad. Why did you go with Smith & Wesson? Obviously, they're a huge gun manufacturer here in the U.S. A lot of people, I think, forget that they're in Massachusetts, in part mm -hmm. because we forget about the western mm -hmm. part of the state. But why did you pick them as your ending point? Uh, I think that had to do with the fact that we thought it was really hypocritical of Massachusetts to talk about uh, we have really great strong laws, but then have a company like Smith & Wesson in its backyard 
and we're allowing them to distribute these weapons out of state, and we don't even want those weapons in our own state. So how is that fair? First up, adorable how the Boston newscaster belittles the western part of the state. This is such a common and shameful behavior that plagues both states and the nation. This leads me into Ms. Pettit Holmes' assertion that we have good gun laws and that the people of Massachusetts don't want certain guns sold here. First up, while Massachusetts might be considered a relatively safe state, it is the most dangerous state in New England, which contains some of the most gun-friendly and safest states in the nation. Certainly the people of America as a whole have no issue with Smith & Wesson. Their M&P-15 is considered the most popular semi-auto rifle in America. More AR pattern rifles are sold in America than any other type of gun. And in that group, Smith & Wesson makes the most popular model. Further, the assault weapons ban we have was passed in 2004, after it was inflicted on the nation 10 years earlier, and was peddled with fear for what would happen if the federal law wasn't renewed. FYI, when the assault weapons ban was allowed to sunset, violent crime went down in America. But not specifically in Massachusetts. The violent crime went up here. Further, our current interpretation of the assault weapons ban was illegally passed by fiat by our attorney general, as was our handgun sales roster. The handgun roster was pushed as consumer protection to avoid the need to get the legislators to draft a law that wouldn't pass. How optimistic are you that you're going to get anything approaching meaningful engagement from Smith & Wesson? Because your two demands, it's worth um, highlighting here, you want them to cease the manufacture and distribution of all weapons outlawed under the 2004 Massachusetts assault weapons ban, including A.G. Morahili's copycat weapons enforcement. So stop selling their best-selling guns that were banned under a framework that was proposed illegally and that they still have a robust sale of to law enforcement here in Massachusetts. That sounds like a winner. Andy wants Smith & Wesson to donate $5 million to research violence caused by the use of their guns uh, and to monitor Ill- uh, illegal use of their guns going forward. This they could comply with. I'd say they could easily commission Dr. John Lott of the Crime Prevention Research Center to give a detailed study on how many lives are saved every year by Smith & Wesson products. As well as I know Dr. Lott has already done a lot of research on how places like Massachusetts keep enjoying higher crime rates after they increase their gun restrictions. Something tells me if they did that, the goalpost would immediately be moved. Is there any reason to think that they're going to be game for any of this? Definitely. I think especially with that second demand, I think that Smith & Wesson can see an opportunity for them to be a leader in gun violence research. I think it's an important time in history to get gun manufacturers on the side of violence prevention, and I think that they can see this as an opportunity to become a leader in the industry in terms of gun violence research. Here's a dirty little secret. The anti-gunners often make wild claims about the Dickey Amendment that prevents the CDC from using public funds to produce anti-gun propaganda like they did in the 1990s. The CDC can still do gun-related research. They just choose not to, as gun violence isn't a very high risk compared to illness and disease, which the Center for Disease Control was founded to deal with. And, really, guns aren't a disease, so why would they research them? There is nothing stopping private groups like Smith & Wesson, or Michael Bloomberg, from conducting any research they want. Bloomberg just keeps wanting to create new organizations that go to great lengths not to mention his name or involvement, rather than do this. Note that the March for Our Lives protest on Washington cost Michael Bloomberg $5 million, and had no discernible political gain. 
There's a reason why he spent his $5 million that way and not for research. Tell me and tell viewers what they did back in 2000 and why it didn't quite work out the way it was supposed to. Um, if I'm thinking the same thing you're thinking, uh, they tried to implement smart technology inside their guns. And so the, that only and, the owner could yeah, fire it, Yeah, so right? that only the owner could fire it. And the NRA got a little bit mad, um, and they basically drove them bankrupt, is from, from my understanding. Uh -huh. Now here's a history lesson. And surprise, surprise, the anti-gun shill doesn't know anything about history. So in the late 90s, the anti-gun groups were actually winning, and the Clinton White House had a plan. Level a constant stream of frivolous lawsuits against gun companies on the cheap. Not a single one of these suits won. Some were settled out of court. Most were simply dismissed. All of them cost huge money from the gun makers. Keep hemorrhaging money like that, and the gun makers would go out of business. Smith & Wesson decided to try something different. Make a deal with the devil and agree to his terms so that he will leave them alone while he puts their competition out of business. Smart guns were part of the agreement, but let's be honest, nearly 20 years later, nobody has successfully invented a smart gun. The few quote-unquote smart guns that do exist use the exact same lock and key technology that we have right now. But the lock and key both take batteries, because that's smart? It also included mandatory internal locking devices, the end of production of guns that accepted magazines that held more than 10 rounds, and mandatory safety features like the dubious loaded chamber indicator and magazine disconnects, both of which could be argued make guns that they're on more dangerous. The shooting public was livid when they heard about this, and when the word got out, people stopped buying Smith & Wesson products. Even worse, they dumped the guns they already owned on the market, causing the value of their products to crash. The NRA did jump in on this boycott, but it was after the damage had already been done and Smith & Wesson was sold to the current owners at a huge loss. And the current owners have vowed to never let such a disaster happen ever again. We tried to get a hold of them. I emailed and called their, their PR person and did not hear back from her by the time uh, the show began. Have you guys heard anything from them? Has there been any, any sort of comment or response? I think uh, to get our permit uh, to like March, I think there had to be some sort of interaction with them. But in terms of us talking to them, no. Yeah, we've contacted them, but we have not heard real responses. Note that the director of this organization seems to have no idea what actually went down to organize this protest. Probably because Bloomberg operatives did all the hard work, and the minor child's job was just to stand between them and the news cameras. But yeah, Smith & Wesson never wants what happened with the boycott to happen ever again, so I'm not surprised they have nothing to say to this group or to water-carrying media lackeys. If they just don't engage... Uh Will this march that you guys are planning have failed if they don't do what you're asking them to? Most definitely not. I mean, a big part of this march, uh, obviously there's always alternative goals, right? And one of this is uh, continuing um, political engagement with young people and voter registration. There will be voter registration set up at the ending rally um, for students who are marching and also showing the nation and showing Massachusetts that the students haven't given up on meaningful change, even if the media has oftentimes moved on uh, to other issues. Well, the march is over and done with, and this podcast might be the first you've ever heard of it, even if you live in Massachusetts. Nobody's talking about it, not even the corporate anti-gun lobby. So that was a failure. And again, I doubt this midterm election is going to be the first one with a serious turnout for the 18 to 24 demographic. 
So I think it's safe to say that March for Our Lives has failed again. We're not asking for them to shut down. We're not asking, I think, for anything that's too unreasonable, especially when it comes to our second demand. Um, I think it's a matter of do they care about the lives? So first up, Massachusetts is vastly more dangerous than its neighbors in New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine. And these are some of the most gun-friendly states in the country. Massachusetts has experienced more violent crime while enacting anti-gun laws, when at the same time, states that relax their gun control laws slaw lower violent crime numbers. If you're on the side of lives, you are not on the same side as Michael Bloomberg. And interesting that when you said, we're not asking them to shut down, when that was exactly the Clinton plan. And I haven't heard anybody on the anti-gun side say that Clinton went too far. Those are your anti-gun talking points and a few rebuttals to combat them. Now, here's the thing. Um, I know this from watching a whole bunch of Sherlock Holmes and Masterpiece Theater. WGBH Boston is PBS. Okay. No, well, I, I, I feel the need to point this out that he couldn't even get on regular network TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this was not an ABC, NBC, CBS, or Fox affiliate. This is PBS. Who watches news on PBS? Well, I would argue is where would they get softballs lobbed at them? I mean, again, this is the woman in this. She's the supposedly the organizer of the march. And when he was asking her questions about, like, did you talk to C- to, to Smith the Wesson, well, I think we had to do something to get our permit. Why do you not know this? Like, you are a- a claiming to be the boss. And again, no, you're not. She sounds like she's 13. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think she's 17 because she's, she's going to be starting. She probably has started her senior year at Boston Latin right now. The fact that she seemed to not really know anything about this subject matter really kind of says to me... I suspect you're the figurehead and Michael Bloomberg has his people, the handlers that are doing all the dirty work. Because again, you know, hey, now I've got to be attacking kids. They're, you know, probably 16 and 17 years old, both of these kids. And part of me is like, mm, they're kids. And when I was 16 and 17, I was anti-gun and for no good reason whatsoever. I didn't know any better. But you know what? If you're going to be getting out in front of Michael Bloomberg, they're, they're Michael Bloomberg branded protesters. So away we go. <laughs> and and I do agree with a question you asked whether or not it was tasteless. Nah, that was absolutely tasteless because in the 60s, they were marching for rights. And this is a march to remove rights. And so, yeah, that's just incredibly tasteless and tacky and tone deaf and other T words. And, and rights that those people were marching for. I mean, Martin Luther King was denied his gun permit because, yeah, he was the wrong color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back in the good old days of May issue. Mm-hmm. Of course, not like some of those days have left for certain parts of the country, but one bit at a time. One bit at a time. So speaking of one bit at a time, uh, David is here to talk about the ways that firearms manufacturers have found a way around the anti-gun legislation of New York and elsewhere. Or to paraphrase Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park, capitalism finds a way. Hi, and welcome to Gun Lovers and Other Strangers. Looking back... 
One of the things that interests and amuses me is not unique to New York State. I'm referring to market adaptation to the anti-freedom laws passed across the country. During the federal assault weapons ban that ran from 1994 through 2004 nationally, and in New York continued until the passage of the SAFE Act, the standard definition of an assault weapon was a semi-automatic rifle with more than two evil features. One of those features was generally a detachable magazine, and the other was often a pistol grip, thus precluding things such as flash hiders, adjustable stocks, and bayonet lugs on these rifles. This is obviously a very simplified definition of these laws. Manufacturers answered these laws with ban-compliant versions of their firearms almost before the ink was dry on the signatures of the lawmakers who passed these nonsensical laws. Thumbhole stocks replaced pistol grips, barrels had no muzzle devices, or at most a compensator, and bayonet lugs, for all their imagined lethality, simply disappeared. The SAFE Act changed things significantly in New York. Thumbhole stocks were specifically banned by the law, and the test for an assault weapon was reduced to one evil feature, i.e., a semi-automatic rifle with a detachable magazine and a pistol grip was now regarded as an assault weapon under the New York law. Again, the market responded. Pistol grips that ended at the trigger guard appeared within days or at most weeks of passage of the law. Within a few months, ARs having lower receivers with the lines of a traditional hunting rifle, such as the Ares SCR, which utilizes a Remington 1100-style redirected recoil path for the bolt carrier, were being sold. Not to mention sales of the newly redesigned Ruger Mini 14 took off like a rocket. More recently, AR lowers with non-detachable and or side-loading magazines have started to appear on the market, such as the Comp Mag or the Mean Arms Side Loader, which allows loading stripper clips through the ejection port, and others too numerous to mention. On top of these innovative products, registration compliance levels to the SAFE Act in New York hovers around 5% at this time. Of those who registered, I've been informed that a statistically significant quantity are New York State police officers who are required to register their personal assault weapons by agency policy. Keep in mind that prior to the SAFE Act being passed, it was estimated that over 1 million AR-style rifles were owned in New York State alone. Of course, according to several gun shop owners I spoke to, this is a low to very low estimate. Nor does this estimate include any 80% lower receivers that were completed as functioning rifles. The same is true in spades for what during the ban were known as pre-ban magazines. In other words, greater than 10-round capacity magazines that were manufactured prior to September 1994. There were many, many millions of these magazines on the open market when that law was passed, and after the sunset of the federal ban, a good number gravitated to New York and other banned states in accordance with the law of supply and demand. Those magazines that were owned in New York did not just disappear. Almost none of them were registered, and I have a feeling that very few were permanently modified to restrict capacity to no more than 10 rounds either. I'm equally sure that more of these pre-ban 20 and 30 round magazines are making their way into New York State on a regular basis to this day. Lawmakers ignore the aforementioned law of supply and demand at their peril. Add to this legal and commercial environment the recent innovations in 3D printing, such as the Liberator pistol design from Defense Distributed, which is now acting as a test case in both First and Second Amendment freedoms. Between non-compliance and technological innovations, it's easy to believe that a popular revolution is starting to swell. 
yet another reason that we need informed and active voters to exercise one of their most important civil rights in local, state, and national elections now more than ever. Equally important is to join the state and federal pro-gun organizations of your choice. Politicians tend to hear only two things, numbers and dollars. The more number of voters these organizations can show they influence, and the more money they can offer to election campaigns, the more our voices are heard. On that cynical note, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. I'm David, and this is Gun Lovers and Other Strangers. Now, one of the things David didn't mention, and I don't know if this was invented for New York or for California or whatever, but it's the Pentagon Air 15 magazine coupler. Have you seen this? I have seen these. Okay. So for the people who haven't seen it, it it's one of these things that it's it looks ugly and ridiculous until you realize what it's for. And then it's kind of beautiful just because it's a giant extended middle finger. And it is a star-shaped magazine hub. You have five 10-round air magazines arranged in a pattern around a central pentagon-shaped hub. So it's not exactly a 50-round magazine. It's... (laughs) It's getting close. Yeah, it's getting close. I'm, you know, you've got them all right there. And it's just just a gigantic FU, and I love it. I love how capitalism can find a way around the laws while still being within the law. Even though the various gun grabbers say, loopholes. Well, you know, it's not a loophole if you're following the regulation. It's not. That's the big thing here. That's all that I think David missed as well is it's not loophole. It's compliance is the the anti-gunners are saying you can't have guns that do this, this and this. And, And ostensibly, they are saying you can have guns that don't do that. Their statement being, oh, you can have your, you know, Bubba hunting rifle or again, the, the, uh, the Ruger Mini 14, which is ostensibly an AR 15, but manages to get by most of the bands. But that's for some reason, that's a good way of tossing a 223 downrange as opposed to an AR 15. Yeah. So fixing the stock on your AR and grinding off the bayonet lug and, and either welding a muzzle nut onto the threads or, or fixing on a muzzle brake that's not a flash hider. That's not finding a loophole. That's complying with the law. And so much that in Massachusetts, where I cannot buy a centerfire AR-15 right now, going to a gun shop, there aren't any. There's no that. And actually, Smith & Wesson, they used to have a tab on their website that was Massachusetts compliant firearms. Doesn't exist anymore. They just, the tab disappeared in 2016 when Mara Healy did her reinterpretation. And Mara Healy will not tell you what her interpretation is. She doesn't tell you how she determines. She simply asks you to tell her what gun you would like to buy, say mother may I, and then she will either grant or deny permission. Now see, back when we talked about this on Gunblog Variety Cast, I, I had a wonderful title for it, and, and it fits because I called it Mara May I. Yes, that is absolutely true. And again, her reason behind, and she's openly said, I will not issue guidelines on how I determine if a gun is a quote-unquote assault weapon or not, because if she does, people will start making guns that comply with the law, which is the whole point of the law. So have there been any prosecutions, any convictions based on this? I 
there's definitely been none of Private Citizens that I'm aware of, and I think I would have heard of it by now. Uh, I know a bunch of uh, gun shops have been harassed. I don't think anyone's been shut down or fined for it. And I think there were some people that actually did kind of run afoul with it, but they decided not to to uh, to uh, go go down that rabbit hole. But nobody wants to play that game because, again, she's really targeting the gun shops. And by targeting the gun shops, they'll suspend your license to buy and sell firearms while you're waiting for the court case to go through. And as you know, court cases aren't fast when they're trying to make them fast. And if they want to make them slow, they can make them very slow. Right. I just wondered if there had been any instances where someone had standing to sue and obviously I don't speak lawyer, but it would be something along the lines of, we don't even know what's illegal. How can we be prosecuted for this when there's no statute? Yeah, they haven't done that. They they did sue her for just generally saying that it's illegal what she's doing. And the judge actually said that uh, that an AR-15 is not covered under the Second Amendment. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. How long until she's out of office? Um, the, uh, the election is this year. So it's oh. November. Okay. Well, what are her chances of being reelected? Uh, that I don't know that Massachusetts is weird like that. I really don't know that that'll, it'll be an interesting thing to, to see because one thing is she's threatened to sue Donald Trump a whole bunch and, <laughs> Donald Trump has some support here in Massachusetts. He didn't carry Massachusetts, but there's a whole lot of Trump bumper stickers on Massachusetts plated cars. Um, wait, wait. So she's going to sue the president or she's going to sue the private individual? There's a difference. Um, yeah, I, I don't think she's actually filed any lawsuits, so I don't think she even knows. Uh, and of course, then there was this whole gun thing and we got 3000 people on the on the uh, the lawn of the state house like the next day. It was like two days later. But she's a Democrat in Massachusetts, so it, she would have to be replaced by a Republican. So it's it's a coin flip. We'll we'll see. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think the chances were very good, but I was hoping. I mean, do they have term limits for uh, AGs? I believe it's two terms, so she is up for re-election this time. Okay. Well, there's that. So last week, we were dickless on the Assorted Calibers podcast. But this week, the house dick returns to talk about his rocky week in another Tales from the Trunk. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of your favorite neighborhood trunk monkey. This particular episode is going to be a bit of a stream of consciousness, um, perhaps delirium. Uh, because it is just after four o'clock in the morning, and uh, what can I say? Uh, it has really been a week. This is recorded on Saturday, uh, September 1st, coming back from a GPS device attempt in the middle of the worst neighborhood in Detroit. was unsuccessful. Well, let me tell you about my week. So here we go. Now, Monday worked a standard case, was minding my own business, and as I was driving home in rush hour traffic, down the freeway in the middle lane, doing 75, uh, maybe 80 miles an hour, my hood came free from the car. Uh, Yeah, you heard that right. Um, For those of you that are friends of mine on Facebook, uh, the hood latch on the Ninja Wagon, a Ford Escape, 
decided to let go, and it smashed into my windshield. It absolutely shattered the windshield. Luckily, the windshield did its job, and I only got a little bit of powdered glass here and there on my arms, um, but no damage, no blood. Of course, it also damaged the roof line of the car uh, because the hood is longer than the windshield is tall. Uh, I guess that might be a protective mechanism in the case of perhaps a front-end impact, but didn't do me any good sitting on the middle of the freeway um, at speed. Luckily, I didn't crash. I got it to the side of the road and had it towed to my local Ford dealership. Uh, it's currently being disassembled. Uh, I'm sitting in a rental vehicle right now, which is n not too bad. Uh, so, go Nissan, a sharp little Altima. And later this week, I had uh, one of the least glamorous tasks put before me um, in order to better surveil one particular target. Um, turned into two or three separate addresses. But uh, this was the least glamorous task that uh, most PIs are familiar with, and that is the trash pole. Three separate addresses, all owned by the target individual, and I came up with nothing, and I had a trunk full of trash in the rental car that I had the distinct pleasure of uh, sifting through in a Walmart parking lot on a tarp. Uh, I spent an hour disinfecting myself later that afternoon. Um, it was just bad. So it's been a really, really rough and uh, bizarre week. Uh, this morning wasn't any better. I was out late last night trying to tag a vehicle, and the car we needed tagged wasn't present. So because I have a surrogate ninja working the file this morning, uh, 7 a.m. I decided to make a second attempt uh, because the client wants this file worked over the holiday weekend. So I came out again at about 3.30 uh, in the hopes that maybe because last night was Friday that, you know, they were out at the bar, they did last call, bars around here close at 2 o'clock in the morning, and then they would have come home. No such luck. So there is that. So I'm out wandering around in the dark in Detroit, you know, hoping for a stroke of luck, and it just didn't happen. And, you know, that's the way things are. Uh, Surrogate Ninja has been informed that he's going to have to be doing this file old school. Um, I don't think he will be disappointed, um, but when you have need-to-go cases, they need to go. And uh, anything that makes the job perhaps a little easier for my ninjas is uh, an effort I'm willing to take. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this particular recording. Uh, you guys stay safe out there. Enjoy your holiday weekend. And I'll see you on the flip side. Stay ninja. Wow, that's a rough week. That is a and, tough one. And wow, Steve sounds like he is just a deep fried turd. <laughs> uh, just, just feeling awful. Ah, uh, wow, my sympathy. I have no idea how long he's been up, but. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't he say he was up at like 4 a.m.? But I have no idea when he's recorded this. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, the good news is he sounds like he's well on his way 
to becoming a hero in a Mickey Spillane novel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All he needs to do is get tuned up by a blackjack, which will be another rough week, but it'll make for a good segment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess we could title that uh, Trunk Monkey Gets a Hickory Shampoo. <laughs> Thanks to each and every one of our listeners, and a very special thanks to all our supporters on Patreon. To become a Patreon patron, go to patreon.com slash Podcast to sign up. Patrons get an early release of the podcast, plus bonus content like our hilarious blooper reels and the new ACP film tracks and ACP Magnum. You can get more from me at my blog, which is weirdworld.com. That's W-E-E-R-D world.com. And hear me weekly on Handgun Radio on the Firearms Radio Network. You can read more from me at my nerd blog, lurkingrhythmically.blogspot.com, and my emergency preparedness blog, bluecollarprepping.blogspot.com. Thanks to Nate Spencer for our wonderful music. He's the podcast bicycle, and I'm trying to become queen of all gun-related media. Our styles are assorted, and so is our podcast. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.